You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Season 2 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting. Or maybe something spooky. Or maybe something just... Mysterious. San Antonio is a culturally diverse city, to say the least. In 1718, the Mission San Antonio de Valero, later known as the Alamo, was opened, and four days later, the Presidio San Antonio de Bejar was opened to protect the mission from the surrounding marauding Indians of the areas. In those 300 years, and even before, San Antonio has a lot of spiritual activity, both in the religious form of spirituality and in the ethereal form of spirituality. We all know about the Alamo having spirits. We know about the Menger Hotel having spirits. We know of the so-called and falsely named haunted tracks south of San Antonio, but there are other places in San Antonio that have spiritual activity of a ghostly nature, and I would like to touch on some of those today. One of the first places I'd like to talk about is the Hebner Onion House. Now, this has absolutely nothing to do with the vegetable, the onion. This is a family name. Uh, The first name is Hebner, H-U-E-B-N-E-R. They were an Austrian family who built the home and then the Onion family later in the 20th century bought the home and lived in it. The head of the family was a judge here in San Antonio and members of his family have entered the law profession in San Antonio. The story of the Hebner Onion House begins in 1858 when a young Austrian jeweler by the name of Joseph Hebner and his family bought 200 acres in the area of Leon Valley. He built a one-story limestone house that became Leon Valley's first sustainable home. Some years later, Mr. Hebner decided to make his homestead 
into the only stagecoach stop from Bandera to San Antonio. In those days, it was very dangerous for travelers to pass that way because of steep terrain and muddy hills and the ever-present threat of Indian raids. The house in the stagecoach inn had many Indian raids and there remain today bullet holes and arrowheads inside the walls of the Hebner Onion House. In 1882, however, Joseph Hebner died of a very bizarre accident. It is reported that he mistook a bottle of kerosene for a bottle of whiskey and accidentally poisoned himself. This is also the year that he added a second floor to his beloved house. Years later, in 1930, a young family called the Onion family moved into the area. Judge John Onion Sr. loved the character of the old Hebner house and decided to move his family into it. Not long afterwards, they began to hear strange noises all throughout the day and night. John Onion Jr. described in his own words some of the strange occurrences. Quoting him, you would hear a click, like someone had stepped on the bottom step of the staircase or stairwell, and then it would automatically come up. It wouldn't be a click here and a click over here. It was kind of like somebody trying to slip up the stairs, you know? And many a time I, when I was sick in bed, had my eyes glued on the door to see who might walk in. And I never told anybody because I didn't want anybody to think I was superstitious or heard ghosts or anything. Then I found out that a good many of the other members of the family had had the same experience. He also went on to describe a strange experience with this household item. Again, quoting, And I remember my mother had an iron that was an iron you sat down at. It wasn't a hand iron. It was a big machine iron that you could roll something. Then you had a little click on the side. You pushed your leg against it, and the iron would come down, and you'd roll this big roller under the iron and iron something. You pushed the click, and the iron would rise up. Then you could readjust it. Well, it made such a distinctive noise. And I always remembered one morning, I guess I was 13 or 14, my dad was going to work, and when he left, car tires on the gravel woke me up. We were sleeping out on the upstairs porch because we didn't have air conditioning in those days. It was much cooler, and that machine was in one of the inner bedrooms, and I heard it running, and I heard the click. I heard the iron come down. I heard the click, and I thought, well, my mother was ironing something. So I lay there, and my brother was in a different bed. He was sound asleep. And so finally I got up, went into my bedroom off the porch, dressed, and went down to the kitchen. And when I opened the door to the kitchen, my mother turned around and said, What were you ironing upstairs? I said, I wasn't ironing. It was you. She said, No, I've been down here in the kitchen since, your, since before your father left even. It was so vivid to both of us at different locations. We both went together back up to where the iron was, and it was just as cold as could be. My brother was still asleep on the porch. So I said, I'll never explain that one. In the 1950s, Judge Onion Sr. passed away, leaving his wife Harriet all alone. In 1983, she was the last of the Onion family to die inside the home, and the Onion family soon vacated the house and never returned. The home was abandoned quite some time and soon became a popular site for local thrill seekers to hop the fence and visit. Some have different accounts of being inside the house and hearing the sounds of glass or plates shattering, but when they checked, nothing was there. 
Others have reported hearing footsteps upstairs in the abandoned house and the soft music of a piano playing nearby. Some young thrill-seekers have even heard the sounds of horses' feet and wheels against gravel coming up the driveway toward the building. It sounds eerily similar to what a stagecoach might have sounded like. This noise has scared many trespassers away from the house. Perhaps some spirits are still visiting the inn by stagecoach. Unfortunately, a local group of gang members recently broke into the house and spray-painted and vandalized everything. A local historical society was raising money to help rebuild and establish the house as a museum when the vandalism occurred. And due to the sad occurrence, the society suffered a huge setback. Today, it still has plans to restore the house to its original form and make it a living history farm. The Hebner Onion House will always stand as a monument to its town as a piece of history in eerie ghost stories. Not every historical thing that happened in San Antonio was particularly a good thing. For instance, the Battle of the Alamo, although it did help to give Texas its independence from Mexico. There was another incident that was called the Council House Fight of 1840. And around that time, San Antonio was a fairly dangerous city to live in because it was on the frontier. There were numerous bars, there were brothels, there were daily gunfights, and of course, many Indian battles. The Comanche Indians were among the most hostile and terrifying of the tribes in those days. It's said that if you were to venture a mile outside the city limits of San Antonio, your chances of coming back alive were less than 10%. Years were spent fighting the Comanches and having to deal with the capture and abduction of many of their women and children. Abductions of children were especially numerous, and parents often had to teach their children what to do in case they were captured. Unfortunately, many of those captured never saw their families again. In March of 1840, after two years of bloody battles and constant fighting, the Comanches decided they wanted to negotiate a peace treaty. The Texans only agreed to have this meeting if the Comanches would bring back all of their women and children held captive. The Comanches agreed, and on the day of council, the Comanche chief leaders, their wives and children, all came into the city dressed in their finest attire with their faces painted. They met at a one-story stone building called the Council House on the corner of Main Plaza and Market Street. The Comanches brought with them one white captive and several Mexican children. The white captive was a young girl of 16 named Matilda Lockhart. She had been held prisoner for over a year and a half. When the Texans saw poor Matilda, they were outraged. She had suffered several burns over her body, including her face. I won't describe the horrific injuries occurred by Matilda, just out of decorum. But Matilda told the Texans that she had been severely beaten and raped by the men. She also told them there were over a dozen abducted women left back at the camp. This angered the Texans because they believed that the Comanches had broken their own truce. Words were exchanged and within moments the situation turned ugly. The Texas militia fired on the chief leaders and their families point blank, killing many of them. Some of the Comanche women and children waiting outside began firing their arrows after hearing the commotion inside. In the end, 35 Comanches were killed. 30 men, 3 women, and 2 small children. 7 Texans died as well. After that battle, the Texans spared one Comanche squad to go back to her camp and tell the others what had taken place at the council house. The Texans wanted to send the Comanches a warning to bring back the remaining captive women, 
when the squaw returned to her camp and told how their husbands, fathers, and children had been killed. It enraged the Comanches. They grabbed the remaining prisoners and burnt them alive. Still to this day, the Council House Fight of 1840 is considered the second bloodiest battle to take place in San Antonio's history. The incident ended the chance for peace and led to more years of hostility and war. The Council House still exists off Main Plaza. It's within view of the San Fernando Cathedral. It has been bought and sold over the years and most recently was a Catholic bookstore. Now it's empty and sits with a for sale sign on it. Many people who pass by this building do not realize what a sad event occurred there. Visitors and residents of the downtown area often walk through this plaza at night and have reported seeing and hearing weird phenomena around the council house. Gunfire and screams can sometimes be heard coming from inside the house. Other people have reported hearing a shrill Comanche war cry from the same area. At times you can even hear the soft chanting of Indian war calls. Several photos have been taken of the area and there are usually a lot of orbs in the vicinity. I think if you've listened to my show very long, you understand my take on orbs. It's that they're not always ghostly. could just be humidity. One photo even displayed what appeared to be a Comanche woman inside of one of the windows. When this building was in operation as a bookstore, it was reported that books would fly off the shelves and sometimes rearrange themselves in the morning. Workers often reported hearing the same war cries, screams, and gunfire. Figures made of a mist-like substance have also been said to appear inside and outside the building, sometimes scaring locals or visitors who are passing by. With so much sadness and bloody history on one spot, it's no surprise that these spirits still linger at the council house. Another holdout from the Indian War time is a place called Comanche Lookout Hill. Hundreds of years ago, the South Texas landscape was breathtaking. Today, the land is tough. It's overrun with mesquite, cedar, and cactus. Whereas in those days, the land and the people were quite different. Before the Europeans came, there were green grasslands, and to the north of San Antonio, the hills began to roll. Covering them were buffalo that roamed the land freely, alongside the Native Americans who lived and hunted there. Entering today into the northeastern outskirts of San Antonio, you will notice the differences in vegetation and in, ter in the terrain. Leaving the flat land of the city and coming north on Loop 1604, you will see the hills began to enter into view. The beauty is breathtaking as you find yourself instantly engulfed on all sides by the start of the Texas Hill Country. As you pass along, there is one hill you will notice that stands taller than the rest. It's right off of Old Nacogdoches Road with a tall castle-like tower on top. This mysterious hill is called the Comanche Lookout Hill. The fourth tallest natural point in San Antonio, the Comanche Lookout Hill, stands at an elevation of 1,340 feet. Since the early days, this hill has been the vantage point of the area. The surrounding land was mostly grassland during the 1700s, so it was a hill used by a few Indian tribes over the years. It was used mainly for hunting and warfare, because from the top of the hill one could see for miles, and it was very beneficial in preparation against enemy intruders. The first Indian tribe to arrive in this area was the Apache. They ruled the lands when the first Spanish settlers arrived. Later, the Apache were conquered by the Comanche, and the hill became theirs, giving them claim and fame to the lookout. 
In the 18th century, Spanish settlers on horseback and in wagons began to flow into the area. The hill, which was still occupied by the Comanches, was used as a landmark by travelers. Following the trails the Native Americans once used, the old Spanish road the settlers took was known as the Camino Real, or as we say in English, the Royal Road. The Royal Road, which is today Nacogdoches Road, led the early Spanish settlers from the city of Nacogdoches in East Texas to Bastrop and then finally to San Antonio. When they saw the hill, the travelers knew their future home was not too far away. Just beyond the hills was the city. Unfortunately, the Comanches often saw them coming for hours allowing them time to gather braves to set an attack. That was a constant danger for those traveling along the base of the hill. Given the higher ground of their attackers, they would often be ambushed and demolished. As one might suspect, the settlers were not going to just sit back and be killed. For years, there was backlash, and the settlers and the Comanches constantly battled each other. They took these battles to the outskirts and even inside the city. While at Comanche Lookout Hill, there was much bloodshed on both sides. Eventually, a change of power took place. The hill became the property of the settlers and was used as a lookout for Indian intruders instead of Spaniards and other Anglo settlers. It was said that there was even a fort built on top of the hill, but that came much later. In the early days of the Republican statehood, Comanche Lookout Hill and the area surrounding it changed ownership many times. It was eventually bought by Mirabeau B. Lamar in 1848. Lamar served as the second president of the Republic of Texas. When the land was passed down to his daughter in his will, he still referred to the hill as Comanche Lookout. Because the land was never used, Lamar's heirs sold the land to two immigrant brothers from Germany, Gustav and Adolf Rie, and they farmed the land until Adolf died, and Gustav sold the land to retired Army Colonel Edward H. Coppock in February of 1923 for $6,000. Coppock, having been stationed in Europe for many years of his military career, was said to be a romantic and really loved history. Seeing many castles throughout his years of service in Europe, he decided after buying the land he would build his own castle on top of Comanche Lookout Hill. With the help of his sons and a stonemason, Coppock built a four-story medieval Gothic stone tower as well as possibly another tower and the foundation for his castle. He envisioned a fairy tale of a home, but unfortunately, troubled times came between him and his castle, the depression of the 30s and war in the 40s. In 1948, Coppock died and his castle was never completed. From 1604 today, the tower can be seen where it still stands. The foundation of his dream castle is all that remains on top of Comanche Lookout Hill. In 1994, the last sale of this land in Comanche Lookout Hill took place. The Parks and Recreation Department of Texas, understanding the need to preserve history, set this land apart. Comanche Lookout Hill became a public park with many trails for walking and running, all leading up to the same peak where you can marvel at the old castle tower or look off into the horizon as so many of us have done before. From violent history to unfinished business, Comanche Lookout is considered by most to be haunted. Many years have passed since the last Comanches on the hill, but their spirits are said to roam the area, perhaps still protecting a land they once loved. Even Colonel Coppock supposedly walks these grounds, having died with his beloved castle incomplete. People today have often seen an old man with a wheelbarrow bringing stone to and from the hill. Unfortunately, his tower has been broken into and vandalized many times by juveniles, throwing large parties and holding seances. 
Some of these vandals have even practiced witchcraft near his tower, trying to call back the dead on spooky Halloween nights. Not very appreciative, the colonel is said to appear from his tower, looking down sternly at any trespasser who dares to approach his tower. Around the trails of Comanche Lookout Hill, people say they often feel as if they're being followed or watched from the trees by some unknown presence. In the early hours of the morning or toward dusk, people have heard voices and chanting coming from within the wooded areas, sometimes even war cries. Often shadows of men will cross pathways and disappear in the trees of silence, as if their feet did not touch the ground. In addition, sounds of drums that feel like your own heartbeat are often heard pounding on top of the hill. Reports of warm spots signifying darker spirits are said to be felt from the base of the hill to the peak. It is believed that the Comanches are perhaps wishing they could protect their hill from intruders to this day. One person on a tour told of an experience she had while at the Lookout Hill. Having lived near the area of the Lookout Hill, this lady would walk her dog almost every evening to the top of the hill and back. Saying she always felt the hill was different, she admitted she often heard screaming and the chanting of men coming from within the woods. Believing they were just teens messing around, she and her dog would often walk faster, but always in the back of her mind she felt it was something else. The last time she went for a walk, it was evening. As she walked down the hill, the trail began to darken quickly. With just less than halfway to go, her dog all of a sudden stopped and turned, its hair standing up on end. Looking defensive, he began to growl. Looking back herself, she made out what seemed to be two men with painted faces. They let out a war cry and began to run toward them. She yanked her dog back immediately and took off running toward the bottom of the hill. Turning back when she entered the parking lot, the men with painted faces had disappeared. She noticed there were no more cars in the parking lot and she knew she needed to leave the parking lot too. To this day, she knows what she saw and she never plans on returning to the park again. Comanche Lookout Hill has a breathtaking view and whether you visit it for a hike or for the history, remember the souls who once roamed the land and the man whose life was cut too short before he could realize his dream. Well, that's just some more stories of San Antonio that I found that I wanted to share with you. So that's basically the basis of this week's show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for responding on Facebook to the Mysterious Moments Facebook page. Remember, on Mondays, you can listen to Aaron Hunter as he tells listener stories or shares interviews that he has done on his show, Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. On Tuesday, you can listen to Aaron Frail on Aaron's Horror Show, where he discusses some of his writings, some other writings that he enjoys, and we'll sometimes talk about horror movies, too. On Wednesday, there's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with my off-the-wall stories sometimes. And on alternating or occasional Thursdays, The Sandman Lullaby with Patrick Sean Jones. You can go to your whatever your uh, app store is whether it's on the apple or the android and look for real paranormal activity the podcast there's an app you can download and you can get access to those four shows automatically you don't have to go looking through a podcast catcher remember you can contact me at terry's mysterious moments on facebook or at terry's mysterious moments at gmail.com that's what I have for this week. 
I just want to thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.